It's great to be with you uh, this morning. My name's Kieran. If you're visiting, great to have you with us. Hey, can we give it up for the youth band this morning? Thank you guys for um, serving us. Um, it's just so good to see uh, you guys serving, and um, we appreciate your ministry heaps. So thanks. It's good. Um, a lot of people say that this um, story that we're looking at, I hope you'll have it uh, in front of you this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Uh, they call it the birthday of the church, uh, but it's not exactly 100% accurate because um, church literally means the called out ones, and um, God started calling out his people a long time before this. If you think even all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12, God began to call out a people. So the thing that's unique about what we're looking at this morning is, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the called out ones. This is a story about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and I hope you can um, look at the passage and see uh, this language filled. It comes up three times in the passage that we're looking at today. So in verse 3, it says, um, the sound, there was a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house. There's, there's the first time. And then verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then again in verse 12, the crowd see them, and they say they are all filled with new wine. And so this is a story about the fullness of the Spirit, about the infilling of of the Holy Spirit. But what, what does that mean? Uh, did you notice that um, in the last verse that we looked at, that's exactly the question that the crowd asks? So again, if you've got it in front of you, have a look, verse 12, that they look on and they say, what does this mean? It's a good question. And actually, that's the question that we're going to be asking this morning. What does this mean? And as we go through the story, I hope you'll see that to be filled with the Spirit brings the power of a new creation. To be filled with the Spirit brings the power of His presence. And to be filled with His Spirit leads to an outpouring of praise. That's where we're going this morning. Remember that Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before He ascended, He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And now we get to see what that looks like. He says, you will, it will happen, and now we see it happening. And so um, we get to see what it looks like when they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the day of Pentecost is marked by three different phenomena, three kind of unique manifestations of power that we see, um, what it looks like when they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first is in verse 2. Have a look. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. That's the first manifestation of this power. There was the, from heaven the sound like the rush of a violent wind. And I, and I said at the start, this is the power of a new creation. What, why is it the power of a new creation? Well, if you cast your minds back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, you will see the Spirit hovering over the waters. Remember that we've said that the word for wind, the word for breath, and the word for spirit are the same word in the Greek and in the Hebrew. So it's hard for us. We, we read it in English and we see different words, right? Wind, breath, spirit. If you were reading this in the original, the Greek, or in the Hebrew, you'd be seeing the same word. And so when it says a violent wind, you could as equally read a violent breath or spirit. But if we cast our minds all the way back to Genesis 1 verse 1, 
hey, it turns out there was a wind there as well. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. Now get this, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. In other words, this wind, the spirit, was absolutely instrumental in creating the world. But then what happened? It all fell apart because of sin, because Adam and Eve turned their backs on God. It all fell to pieces, and that's why we see decay and and death in the world. And yet what we see now is that through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and now the outpouring of the Spirit, this violent wind over this people, this is a new creation. God is bringing about a new creation. He's restoring everything that was broken. But, but this new creation is nothing like the old one that's subject to decay. This is, this is brimming with eternal life down to the finest molecule that will go forever and ever and ever. The power of the Spirit brings a new creation. And you get this amazing depiction of this um, in the Ezekiel 37 passage that we looked at where um, th- there's uh, this picture, Ezekiel gets this picture of this valley of dry bones that, that represent just this death and, and decay, that the people of God. And then God takes Ezekiel there and in verse 9, uh, Ezekiel says, God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the spirit, the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. This is being fulfilled at Pentecost. New life, new creation. Remember that we said a few weeks ago that um, prayer is the body of Christ breathing. If you don't breathe, you die. Breath is life. And so we we see this in in Jesus, the body of Christ, on on the day of his baptism where he prays um, at the River Jordan and, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. Uh, The breath of God fills him. And then what do we see him doing throughout the Gospels, through his words and through his deeds? We see what a new creation looks like. His healing, his miracles, his signs, his wonders. This is what new creation looks like through the breath of God, bringing the world back together again. But remember that um, we saw in Acts chapter 1 verse 1 that that. Luke, who wrote the first gospel, he says, Theophilus, my first book was all about what Jesus, what was it? All that Jesus began to do and teach. That's, that's chapter one, Jesus. As if to say, what's the story of Acts about? It's about what Jesus continued to do and teach as the ascended Lord. And so in Acts, we have this repetition of the same pattern in Luke 3, where again, the body of Christ, now the church, not the literal body, the church is gathered, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, praying. The Spirit is poured out upon them, and they are filled with the Spirit. And then we see them from the start go out and do the things that Jesus did. They're bringing about a new creation. You know, um, Jesus in John 10, he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. That's what we see Jesus doing, the body of Christ in Luke, and now we see it through the body of Christ, the church, bringing a new creation into the world, an eternal, everlasting creation brimming with life. And so 
one preacher says that a spirit-filled church is where discouraged folks cheer up, dishonest folks pay up, sour folks sweeten up, closed folks open up, gossipers shut up, conflicting folk make up, sleeping folks wake up, lukewarm folk fire up, dry bones shake up, pupitatoes stand up. But most of all, Christ the Saviour is lifted up. That's a spirit-filled church. And you see that on, from the next verse 14. What does Peter do? He stands up and he lifts up Christ the Saviour in his sermon, in the power of the Spirit, after the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost. And so to be filled with the Spirit brings the power of a new creation, everlasting life. And then we get, with that wind, we catch the sail of that violent wind uh, to mend and bring about a new creation with our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's wonderfully encouraging. And so that's the image of the violent wind, firstly. But to be filled with the Spirit, secondly, the second manifestation of power that we see is, is fire. Have a look. Verse 3. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. I hope I can show you how significant this is, because this image of fire is such a potent and powerful symbol of God's glory and power and presence in the Old Testament, because whenever he appears, so often he appears in the Old Testament as a fire. So when um, God cuts a Um, covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. God appears in Genesis 15 as a blazing torch. Uh, When God appears to Moses um, in the desert, in the wilderness, while he's keeping sheep, how does he appear there? As a burning bush. Uh, When he comes uh, down to appear to to God's people on Mount Sinai, remember the giving of the the Ten Commandments, when God comes uh, to Mount Sinai, it says in chapter 24, of Exodus, verse 17, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain. And then um, in the wilderness wanderings, you know how they're wandering through the wilderness? If you know the story, how does God lead them? He, he leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then um, in that story, whenever they stopped Wonder in their wanderings. Remember, they would set up the tabernacle, which was the tent of meeting, the dwelling place of God. And in Exodus 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. And so whenever we see God appearing like this in the Old Testament, whenever he shows up, it's, it's overwhelming, it's unbearable, it's terrifying. Sometimes it's fatal for God's people. But do you realize what's happening on the day of Pentecost? Do you realize what the day of Pentecost means? It means that now every believer is a burning bush. Every believer is a the glory and presence and power of God that was so overwhelming that not even Moses was able to enter into the tabernacle now has been poured out into the hearts of every single believer. Did you notice that in verse 3? It says, A tongue of fire rested 
on each of them. Each and every one. In other words, this is for everyone, for all who have put their trust in Christ. But also, if you think about a campfire, right, it's not just, you think about the last time you were sitting around a campfire, it's not just something that's beautiful to look at, it's also something that is wonderful to experience. It's something that you feel. And so um, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, St. Paul says, God's Spirit has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Sorry, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God comes to make the love of God not something just that we know in our heads, but something that truly warms our hearts. This is the power of the Spirit. Thomas Goodwin tries to illustrate this by telling a story, this idea of the fullness of the love of God and of the Spirit. He uh, says one day he was watching a father and a son walking down the street and they were talking. But at one point, this father and this little boy, they turned to each other and the father swept the son up into his arms and he hugged him and he covered him with kisses and the boy grabbed him around his dad around the neck and they were kissing and hugging and telling each other that they loved each other. And then, and then the, the father uh, put the boy back down on the street and then they kept walking. Thomas Goodwin asks a question. Was the little boy more of a son in his father's arms than he was down on the street? Was he more of a son when he was in his arms than he was down on the street? No, of, of course not. Legally? Objectively? Absolutely not. He was a much, as much of a son in his father's arms as he was down on the street. As much of a son down on the street as he was in his father's arms. Objectively, there's absolutely no difference. But subjectively, experientially, emotionally, they couldn't be more different. It makes all the difference in the world. In the Father's arms, he's experienced the Father's love and the Father's embrace. And this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't just know it objectively. No, he's been poured into our hearts. Paul says so that we can cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's an experience. The fire means that now every believer is a burning bush. The wind means that God's spirit brings the power of a new creation. The fire that every believer is now a burning bush. But finally, the third manifestation of power that we see on Pentecost is this Um, The fact that the outpouring of the Spirit brings an outpouring of praise. Can you have a look with me at verse 4? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Then have a look down at verse 11 that the crowd who's listening to them speak says, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power in our own language. And so the outpouring of the Spirit always results in an outpouring of praise. It leads to an outpouring of praise. Uh, and, And this is all because of Jesus and what he does for us by the power of the Spirit. Jesus describes his mission using the words in Isaiah 61, um, 
he gets up in a synagogue in Luke 4 and he, listen to him to describe the fullness of the Spirit and what he came to do. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim, proclaim good news to the poor, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I just love that we've got the good news. I just love that we've got what everyone's looking for. I just love that in the power of the Spirit, we're able to to point them to what they're all looking for. An outpouring of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of of praise because of Jesus and what he does in us and for us. And so this theme in the Bible of an outpouring and an overflow is is everywhere. Just think of um, King David in Psalm 23, the same imagery. You anoint my head with oil, then what? My cup overflows. The oil of the Spirit, the overflow and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's there in um, Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47 where he sees visions, streams of living water flowing out of the temple. Um, remember, he sees this vision at first. He says it was a trickle, and then it was ankle deep. And then he sees it was... That, by the way, he's walking out further and further away from the temple, right? And you would sort of think as you get further and further away from the source, this, it would get shallower and shallower, right? The water's coming out of the temple. But the further he goes, it's ankle trickle, ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep. And then in verse 5, as he's gone miles away from the temple now, it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. Can you see this image of overwhelming overflow and outpouring of, of life and fruitfulness through the power of the Spirit? You know, in John chapter 7, um, on the day that the Feast of Tabernacles, what they would do um, at the Feast of Tabernacles is that the priests at the temple would get these huge vats of water and they were picking up on this image in, in Ezekiel 47 of the temple and they would pour these vats of water out of the Feast of Tabernacles to commemorate God's promise of this fullness, of this overflow of the Spirit. And then while that's happening, Jesus is there and he gets up in verse 37 and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty... Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so Pentecost is the day when the banks are burst. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit amongst his people. This overflow. And the good news is that Jesus is a well that doesn't run dry. He's a well that doesn't run dry. The question for us is, do you keep on coming back for a drink? Or do you just think you can do it on your own? You see this image of overflow uh, again in Ephesians 5 verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, um, in the Greek, it's keep on being filled with the Spirit. This imagery of being filled. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. But then he tells us what it will lead to. He says, verse 18 of Ephesians 5, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, 
and spiritual songs. Can you see the same pattern here? The outpouring of the Spirit leads to what? An outpouring of praise. That's exactly what we see on Pentecost Sunday. They're filled with the Spirit and then there's an outpouring of praise and an overflow. My cup overflows. And so uh, what are they actually saying though? That there's this outpouring of praise. What is it? Verse 11, have a look. It says, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power in our own language. God's deeds of power. Now, uh, the, the word in Greek for God's deeds of power is megalios. Um, so mega, think mega, God's deeds of power. And, and this was in almost a technical word in the Old Testament for God's ultimate deed of power, God's ultimate megalios in the Old Testament was what? The story that they kept on telling over and over and over again, it was the parting of the Red Sea where God took them out of slavery in Egypt and then he um, drew them through the Red Sea, he buried Pharaoh's army and then ultimately brought them through to the promised land. But, But that deeds of power points to the ultimate deeds of power and that's what they're declaring on Pentecost Sunday, which is that God has set us free in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the, the power of Satan's sin and death has been destroyed through Jesus' life, death and resurrection and he's broken that power for us and he's brought us into new life, into everlasting life and a new creation. And so they're declaring the, the wonders of Jesus and what he's accomplished for him, his mighty deed in dying for sin and rising and bringing about a new creation. And so do you see how this tells us that the fullness of the Spirit leads to a joyful obsession with the good news of the gospel? That They can't help themselves. It just flows out, declaring God, the freedom of God in Christ and, and how he's broken every chain and, and what he's accomplished for them. That The fullness of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of praise and a joyful obsession with the message of the gospel. And by the way, all through Acts, you see this language, I counted it this week, I don't know if it's 10 times, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and almost every time they declare the mighty deeds of God because the outpouring of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of praise. So, friends, the fullness of the Spirit brings the power of a new creation, That's what the violent wind was about. The fullness of the Spirit brings the power of his presence into our hearts. That's what the tongues of fire resting on each one is about. And the fullness of the Spirit brings the power of his praise. That's what all the languages were about, declaring his mighty acts and mighty deeds. Uh, In his best-selling book, uh, Into Thin Air, John Krakauer relates the hazards that plagued some climbers as they attempted to uh, reach the summit of Mount Everest. It's called Into Thin Air. Uh, Andy Harris was one of the expedition leaders and he stayed at the peak too long and so in his descent he became in dire need of oxygen. Uh, Andy Harris radioed the base camp and told them about his predicament and he mentioned that he had come across a cache of oxygen canisters left by the other climbers but he said they were all empty however the climbers who had already passed the canisters on their own descent knew that they weren't empty they were full 
And so on the radio, they plead with Andy Harris to make use of these oxygen canisters that were filled with oxygen, but to no avail. Harris was starved of oxygen. But he continued to argue on the radio that the canisters were empty. You see, the problem was that the lack of what he needed had so disoriented his mind that even though he was surrounded by something that would give him life, he continued to complain about its absence. The lack of oxygen that he had had ravaged his capacity to recognise what was right in front of him. Friends, did you know that God has an abundant and bountiful supply of oxygen by his spirit? But so many of us are suffocating and don't even know that we need it. You're unable to recognise the abundant supply of oxygen that God has for you by his spirit. And I have to say, until recently, that was me. As your pastor. Unable to recognise the abundant supply of oxygen that God has for his people by the spirit. You know, in his prayer for the Ephesians, the the Apostle Paul, he actually picks up on a similar word to this megalios, the mighty deeds of God. And and he uses a a word in his prayer about megathos. And he applies this word ultimately to the resurrection power of Jesus. Uh, And he's praying for the Ephesians that the eyes of their hearts would be opened and the perception of their mind, they would know the immeasurable greatness, that's megathos, of his power for those who believe. He prays it for all of the Ephesians. And so I want to pray that for you this morning. I want to pray Paul's words that he prayed for the Ephesians, for you. And I, and I hope that by faith you might be able to, to open your heart by faith and breathe in the fullness of the Spirit and see those dry bones come alive, even now as I pray you. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. For us who believe, according to the working of his vast strength. I want to invite you to take a few moments to dare to believe that there is a more abundant supply than you have ever thought or ever imagined. And to take a moment of silence before him. And if you start to get nervous or distracted, don't. The best thing that you can do is ask. Jesus says it again and again and again later in Ephesians 3, to him who is able to do more than we could ask or imagine. And so I want you to take some time in silence to see if you can ask, to see if you can imagine. As the hymn says, thou art coming to a king. He's the king of life who defeated Satan's sin and death. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever 
ask too much. I'll shut up in a second. He says, come like a child. My children don't go, ooh, I better not ask that. Oh, no, I can't ask that. Oh, no, I won't, I won't ask that. Oh, no, no, that's not appropriate. He wouldn't give me that. No, they ask. Jesus says, come like a child. Be a child. Let's pray.